For those of you that are visiting with us, uh, we're in a series here at Big Valley Grace where we're looking at what God has to say uh, about certain topics. These are uh, topics that over the past year and a half or so you've asked me to, to talk on. I, whenever I get emails or uh, I get a text or a phone message, everybody's got a thought on what I ought to preach on, and I appreciate that. <laughs> Um, and, and so I kind of compile all those and put them into a file or whatever, and then I kind of go back through them, and, and I go, wow, it sure looks like a lot of people want me to maybe talk on this, or talk on that, or give a message on this. And so usually about every other year, I, I do kind of a series uh, like this. And so far, we've looked at uh, five things. Number one, we looked at what God says about abortion. Number two, we looked at what God has to say about himself. Uh, number three, we looked at what God has to say about us. And number four, we looked at what God has to say about his word, the Bible. And then last week, Lee Strobel looked at what God has to say about Jesus. Specifically, he looked at uh, the resurrection of Jesus. And if you weren't here, you really missed out on something really, really cool. It was a very encouraging moment for those of us that named the name of Jesus and it was certainly something that made those uh, of you that may not uh, believe that Jesus was the Son of God at least give people a, 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 a chance to think. And if you weren't here, let me uh, encourage you to go to our website. You can watch the message for free. You can download our app on your smartphone and watch the message for free. Or you can, I don't know, go blow five bucks and go buy the DVD or the CD out, out there and listen to it. Because I, I know it'll bless your life. It'll challenge uh, you're thinking. Today we're going to look at what God has to say about the, about the end times. And yesterday as I was kind of putting the final touches on, on this message, I, I um, made the decision that that's going to become a, a two-parter, okay, um, which is throwing everybody into a, a, a panic. But uh, <laughs> now to get us started, I I wanted to see what the average person on the street thinks about how everything ends. In fact, if you're visiting with us throughout this series, we have sent uh, our media crew, we sent them to uh, Monterey, and we just had them ask the average guy on the street certain questions, and today we asked them uh, the question, hey, how do you think everything ends? And so check out the jumbo phones. global warming. People, the human beings, are going to cause the end of the world one day, eventually. I don't know, Revelation talks about, you know, the sky burning up, you know, and, and the earth, will, you know, will all be destroyed and all that. So I, I, I think that's probably how it will end. I'm not sure whether we all understand exactly what Revelation is talking about, but I, I kind of think that's what it means. Um. I think that it will happen when we least expect it. Like it says in Peter, the Lord, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Like nobody really knows. Um, a lot of people say the world's going to end, but only Father in heaven knows. Only Father in heaven knows those times. Yeshua, His Son, our brother, our God, our Lord, our Savior. You know, He says the same thing. Only Father in heaven knows. How do I think it's going to end? I know how it's going to end. He said, "Never again will I destroy all mankind with water." Um, I don't know really. Um, happy with everybody being um, joyful and there's not a lot of people out, out on the streets. So everybody's peaceful and stuff. So that's how the world goes in. It's pretty clear, isn't it? The book of Revelation tells us all, right? Well, pro not through any of those predictions, I don't think. It may self-destruct. Uh, we may self-destruct it, actually, through kind of the destructive things that humans have done to the planet over the years. But no, I don't think it's going to be through any kind of apocalyptic event. Uh, you know, if things happen, it will be more gradual through climate change, you know, and th those kinds of things, I think, are the biggest threats to the, the planet that I think we face. The way it says in the Bible, Jesus Christ is going to come back and take, take us with him, and then it's going to be a tribulation period, and it's going to end the way it says it's going to end. I think it might be fun to uh, have a microphone up here and 
let some of you share maybe what, what you think about the end times. Now, I know most of us here in this room, maybe you're uh, over in the venue watching online or listening on the radio, we, we, we probably all would agree to some extent how it all ends. But um, there are some good people, good theologians, who uh, when they read the scriptures don't, don't see everything um, alike. There, there are some, some of you who may, um, you may disagree with some of the things that I'm going to share, and that's okay. Uh, because we're still brothers and, and sisters in, in the Lord. And uh, though we may not all agree on some things, um, uh, we do know that at some moment it's all going to end. Now, one of the things I have found is this, is that the older that you are, the more convinced you are we're in the end times. And it's been that way throughout the centuries. Every generation, as they get older, this is the end times. There's no, there's no, doubt, there's no doubt about it. And another generation comes and goes, and, and uh, the, older, the older I get, I'm just, you know, seem to be more convinced that, that, that we're in the, you know, the, the end times. But, but here, here's the deal. Um, we all agree that at some moment it is all going to end. Uh, the question is, is how does it all end? Or when does it all end? And what I want to do is this, I want to do my best to maybe share with you this week, next week, Lord willing, what I believe the scriptures teach. And um, I hope for those of you that might be here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you don't know whether this is all real or not, you know, focus. I think if nothing else, it'll be somewhat interesting for you to, to hear what the, what the scriptures teach. Um, and to begin with, I want us to listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. He said this, and most of the verses are in your notes, it'll be on the jumbotrons or whatever. Jesus said, no one knows when that day or time will be. No one knows when the end will come. Not the angels in heaven, not even the sun. When, when Jesus was down here in human form, he didn't even know when the end was going to come. Only the Father knows. When the Son of Man comes, when the end comes, it will be like what happened during Noah's time. In those days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving their children to be married until the day Noah entered the boat. They knew nothing about what was happening until the flood came and destroyed them. It will be the same when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be uh, grinding grain with a mill. One will be taken and the other will be left. So always be ready because you do not know the day that your Lord will come. Now, I want you to know that in my opinion, these are the definitive words as it relates to the timing of it all. Nobody knows when it all ends. Nobody. Now, throughout the ages, there have been a bunch of losers that have tried to predict it, but they've all been wrong. Why? Because nobody knows when it all ends. Nobody knows. I have this book right here. It's called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. <laughs> and there'll be a lot, there's a lot of books like this. By the way, this guy made a fortune on this book. Just recently, um, there was a guy by the name of Harold Camping who predicted the end would come. He had a huge radio ministry, and he talked about it on his radio ministry all the time. And by the way, he solicited money so he could buy more radio time. He put it on billboards. There were many billboards right here in Modesto that had the date that the end was going to, to come. He put it in magazines. Uh, I mean, any way he could let his followers know that the end was coming, letters or whatever, he got it all out there. 
But here's the, the weird thing. He was wrong. Now, he, he made a fortune off of people, but he was wrong. He's what I would call, or the Bible would call, a false prophet. Yeah, there were times on his radio program and things where he, he would talk about truth, but like most false prophets or wolves that are in sheep's clothing, they, they tweak the word just enough to somehow mess up people's lives. And I know people right here in this church who bought his lies and literally sold their homes, got rid of their cars, sent it all off to this false prophet because it was gonna, all gonna end. And I met with some people and said, hey listen, um, let me take you to the scriptures. Jesus didn't know when it was gonna end. How does Harold Campy know? Think, engage your brains. And they didn't engage their brains, and a lot of people were hurt, not only in this church, but other churches in our town, and people literally all, all over the, the, the world. Beloved, nobody knows when the end will come, nobody. If Jesus didn't know when it was all gonna end, how could anybody else know? But the Bible does give us a, a few thoughts about the end times that, that, I, that I wanna share with you. Now, in, in my opinion, when you talk about the end times, you have to start at the beginning of time. Otherwise, the end times don't make much sense. You see, the reason why we have an end times is because of how the beginning of time started. And so if you don't understand the beginning of time, then the end of times really uh, doesn't make a, a, a whole lot of sense. So let me quickly lay something out for you, okay? In Genesis chapter one, the very first book of the Bible, it says this. In the beginning, God created. And I've told you over and over and over again that in my opinion, those are the five most important words in the entire Bible. Because if you can't get past those first five words, then nothing else in the Bible is going to matter. Those first five words right out of the gate in the Bible are the most critical words. If you don't believe those five words, then, then nothing else matters. The Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth. He created all the stars that are in the sky. He created all the fish that are in the seas and lakes and rivers and all of that. He created all the plants that grow on planet Earth. He created all the birds that fly in the air. He created all the bugs that crawl on the ground. He created all the animals that roam on the Earth. In the beginning, God created. But then the Bible says that God created his masterpiece, which was you. The Bible goes on to say in Genesis chapter one, then God said, let us make human beings in our image and in our likeness. Let, let them, human beings, rule over the fish and, and the birds and, and, and the tame animals and, that roam on the earth and over all the small crawling animals on the earth. So, so God created human beings in his image. And as I like to tell you over and over again, that we uh, as human beings are, are way different than anything else God created. We, as human beings, are his special creation. It's what sets us apart. It's what makes us uh, unique. It's called the, the sanctity of life. You see, the word sanctified or sanctity means set apart. Human life is set apart. It's like no other life form. Human life is way different. And what makes human life different what sets it apart is that human life was made in the very image of God. Dogs and cats and porcupines and spiders and, I don't know, trout aren't, aren't, 
aren't created in the image of God. He created them. He created a porcupine. He created a trout. He created your favorite pet. They're just not made in the image of God. Only human beings are. James chapter 1 says, And we, out of all the things that he created, we became his prized possession. Doesn't mean he didn't love dogs or cats. Doesn't mean he didn't love a trout or a porcupine or a zebra or a seal. He loves all those things. But we, human life, because we're made in the very image of God, became his prized possession. And his greatest desire was that you and him would have a, a relationship with each other. He wanted you to, to, to love him and worship him. He, he wanted you to trust him. He wanted to have an incredible relationship with you. And in return, he was going to really take care of your every need. Anything you needed, he was going to take care of. He, he longed to have an incredible relationship with you, us, because we were made in his very image. Now, so far, it's a, it's a beautiful story, isn't it? The beginning of time was really, really special, unbelievably special. But one of the things that God did was he, he gave all of us uh, a free will. He, he gave you the ability to choose. He gave Adam and Eve, the, two, uh, the first two human beings, the ability to choose, and they chose to rebel against God. They chose to disobey God. L listen carefully to what Genesis chapter 3 says. Verse 1, the, the serpent, the devil, was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he, the devil, asked a woman, did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, uh, the woman replied, Eve replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent, the devil replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and the fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and, you know, uh, Adam wasn't out picking berries or something. He was right there when this was all going down. And the Bible says that Eve handed him a piece of the fruit, whatever it was. We don't know what the fruit was. God just said, don't eat it. And I think at that moment, all of heaven stopped. I think all the angelic beings were looking down in that special garden, the Garden of Eden. And there are three words that changed the course of history. And he ate. Boom! Everything changed. There was a cataclysmic shift on the planet. Unbelievable what took place at that moment. What I just read here was more important than, than most of you know. In fact, I guarantee you, what I just read right there was more important than even I know. I don't care how long you've walked with God. I don't care how many times you've read your Bible. None of us here really understand how deep the implications of Genesis chapter 3 really are. What the devil was able to pull off here in Genesis chapter 3 caused more pain, more sorrow, more suffering than any of us could possibly calculate. What I just read, Genesis chapter 3, is why we have to have an end of times. And if you don't understand Genesis 1, 2, and 3, really, none of the rest of the Bible makes any sense. In fact, if you were to ever come to my follow class for new believers, the first thing out of the gate that I tell all new believers is, if you don't understand Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you'll never understand the rest of the Bible. You'll never understand really life. Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, to me, are the most important chapters in all the Bible because they lay the foundation for everything else that's in the Bible. 
Look, here's the deal. Romans chapter 5 says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. At the very moment Adam made the choice to disobey God, sin against God, everything changed. It messed up everything. Sin ruined the relationship between Adam and God, and it also ruined our relationship with God. It messed up our relationship with God. In fact, it messed up our relationship with God to the point some of you in this room or over in the venue, you don't even believe in God. You're, you're here because, I don't know, your spouse brought you or a friend brought you or your parents brought you or your kids brought you. I don't know. But your relationship with God was so impacted by Genesis chapter 3 and what took place there, you don't even believe in him anymore. The great prophet Isaiah said, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God paths to follow our own. We've all sinned, we've all blown, and we've all disobeyed God. We've all done things that we know are wrong, and we've all said things that we know are wrong. We all have regrets. Everybody in this room at one time or another has experienced that weird thing called guilt where you knew that what you were doing was wrong because God is the one who gave you a conscience. You knew that what you were doing was wrong. Sin causes us to think crummy thoughts and do crummy things. Sin ruined our relationship with God. Sin broke the, the beautiful relationship we had with God. But, but something else happened as a result of Adam's sin that very few pre preachers will talk about. In fact, it's rarely talked about in the church. But a whole lot more took place in Genesis 3 than just your relationship with God being uh, messed up. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples about the devil in John 14. He said, I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. Oh, that's Satan. Now he adds this, he has no power over me. Jesus says, the ruler of this world, he didn't have power over me. He didn't say he didn't have power over you. He just said he didn't have any power over me. And you read that and you go, whoa. Jesus just called Satan the ruler of this world. John or, or Paul said the exact same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said the devil who rules this world has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. Some of your Bibles say Satan who is the God of this world. L little G, by, by the way. Beloved, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, a lot of really crummy things happened. It brought sin into the world. It messed up our relationship with God. But it also gave Satan a whole lot of power. He somehow, at that moment, became the ruler of this world. He became, at that moment, the God of this age. Now, the illustration I like to use about what took place at that moment is, um, is this. Imagine uh, you went out and paid cash for a brand new car, okay? And uh, you got the car and they give you the pink slip. You, you got the pink slip to the car, you own the car. So you drive down to your bank, you go into your safe deposit box, open it up, you put the pink slip in there, you lock it, and there it is. You, you, it's your car, you own it. Bank doesn't own it, you own it. You own the pink slip. You have the pink slip. And then so you leave the bank, you're driving down the road, and you stop at a stoplight. And while you're stopped at a stoplight, some dude jumps out of a bush, points a gun at your head, and says, get out of the car! He's carjacking you. And so you get out of the car, that guy gets in, and he drives away with your car. Now, he's driving away with your car, but you still own the pink slip. It's still your car. You still own the car but somebody else is just driving it for a little while. That's what happened in Genesis chapter three to some degree. Planet Earth was carjacked, if you will. It, the planet belongs to God. He, he owns the pink slip. He owns the title deed to planet Earth. It's his. But for a season, it was carjacked. And he allowed, for whatever reason, the enemy to drive away with, with, with the car, so, so, so to speak. 
Now, so, so, so here's the deal. This is kind of how everything began. God creates everything. He creates Adam and Eve, you know. Uh, God longed to have a relationship with human beings. The devil tempts Adam and Eve to sin. Unfortunately, Adam and Eve give in to the temptation, which brought sin and chaos into the world, and it somehow allowed the, the devil to become the god of this world. The devil has carjacked, if you will, planet Earth. And all of this happens in the first three chapters of the Bible. Those are pretty important chapters, don't you think? Don't you think you really ought to spend some time reading them and, and really understanding those first three chapters? Because if you don't, you don't understand the first three, who cares about the end? You've you got to know the, the, the beginning of, of it all. You see, the first three chapters of the Bible set up the rest of the Bible. And what I want everybody to do is, I've put a little chart inside of your program. I want everybody to pull that chart out, okay? Everybody pull that chart out. And we'll have this chart next week, Lord willing too, but you can take this home. And I, I kind of created this for you, and, and I want you to see the highlights of some things. And, and uh, what, what I want to, to, to draw your attention to is just the Old Testament. You see the red there? And you can see that I put uh, creation, Adam and Eve right there, and then you can see Adam disobeys God right there. That, that's all Genesis chapter three. And then you have what is called the Old Testament. And there are 39 uh, books that make up the, the Old Testament. And basically from Genesis chapter three on, everything about the Bible is gonna change. And, and what you have is, is you have sin that has separated us from God, and so God's got to fix the problem. And so what God says from Genesis chapter 3 on basically is this, I'm going to send a Messiah to you. I'm going to send a, a Savior who will come and deal with the problem of sin. And so from Genesis chapter 3 on, the story of the Bible is, is that God's going to send a Messiah. God's going to send a Savior. And how people uh, had their sins forgiven, if you will, in the Old Testament was you had to believe that God was going to fulfill the promise and send the Messiah. Now, they didn't know who it was. God just said, I'm going to send a Messiah. And so if you lived during the Old Testament, you would have to believe that God was going to send the Messiah. And if you believe that God was gonna send the Messiah, and I'm keeping this pretty simple, um, your sins were forgiven. God, God impugned his righteousness on your life. Then you can see that um, at the end of the last book of the Old Testament, which is the book of Malachi, God goes silent. He goes silent for 400 plus years, 450 years, 420 years, 480 years, we don't know exactly how long it is, but God doesn't say a word for over 400 years. You got Adam and Eve being created, you got the fall of man, Adam and Eve disobeying God, and you've got this chaos that's taken place. Uh, you, you have all of these Old Testament prophets that talk about the Messiah's coming, the Savior's coming, and then boom, chirp, chirp, chirp. God goes silent, doesn't say a word for over 400 years. Then God breaks his silence. He sends an angel by the name of Gabriel to a man, and he tells this man, hey, you and your wife are going to have a child, a child the old-fashioned way. And that child was going to be, hey, you're listening, no, it's not Jesus. That, that angel came and told Zechariah that he was going to have a baby. That baby was going to be John the Baptist, the forerunner to Christ. A few months later, that same angel, Gabriel, goes to a young virgin teenager. And that angel tells that young virgin teenager, you're the one who's been chosen to give birth to the long awaited Messiah, the long-awaited Savior. And so what happens then is, is you know, we're, we're kind of entering into that season, the Advent season, where we remember that. We remember that God came and, you know, and, and brought the Savior. 
in, into, the, in, into the world. In fact, the Bible says in Luke chapter 2, today in the town of David, a, a Savior has been born for you. That's what Christmas is about. We celebrate the day that God sent the Messiah. God sent the Savior. It's not about Christmas trees, and it's not about lights, and it's not about stockings, and it's not about presents. Nothing wrong with those things, folks. But don't miss what Christmas is about. It's about the fact that Adam and Eve blew it. Chaos entered the world. There's now a God of this age. And God promised in the Old Testament that a, a Messiah would come, a Savior would come. And then God breaks his 400 plus years of silence and tells these two women about these two special babies. And one of them was the Messiah. Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus lived. Uh, if you look at your little, uh, little uh, graph there, that Jesus lived for a little over 33 and a half years, okay? And there came a moment when he voluntarily went to a cross. The Messiah, the Savior, grew up and he voluntarily went to the cross. The Romans didn't put him on a cross. The Jews didn't put him on a cross. He was the Son of God. He went to that cross voluntarily because he cared about you. He loved you. Remember, remember you're his most prized possession. You were made in his very image. God promised a Messiah, a, a Savior, who would come and, and take care of the, 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 the sin that we experienced. Uh, Matthew chapter 1 says, She, Mary, will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he's going to save people from their sins. John weighed in with these words, and these are really interesting words. They take us back to Genesis chapter 3. The reason the Son of God appeared, the reason the Savior appeared, the reason the Messiah came, the reason why we have this season was he came to destroy the devil's work. And what was the devil's work again? He brought sin and chaos into the world. He carjacked planet Earth. He's still driving around with the car, but God still got the title deed. He still has the pink slip. He's going to get the planet back. It's his. He created it. We're just waiting. We're just waiting for that moment. Beloved, one of the main reasons Jesus came to planet Earth was to, to destroy what the devil had accomplished. And the devil had accomplished way more than just bringing sin into the world. Yes, we celebrate that. That's a Man, I mean, who doesn't want to celebrate the fact that their sins have been forgiven? But the devil also caused a whole lot more chaos. He became the God of this world. He became the God of this age, little g. He became the ruler of this world. And so Jesus, the Messiah, came to destroy the works that the devil was able to somehow accomplish in Genesis chapter 3. So after these 33 years, Jesus dies on a cross. They put him in a tomb. Three days later, he walks out of the grave, proving that he was who he said he was, the Messiah, the Savior. And Lee Strobel did a great job of unpacking that. And once Jesus, you know, was raised from the grave and went to be at the right hand of the Father, it basically ushered in a new time era, if you will. And that is what we call the Age of Grace. The, the church age, and uh, we've been in the age of grace or the church age for about 2,000 years and counting. All of us live in this little blue section right here, okay? All of us. We live in the age of grace, the church age, the, 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 the church age okay? Now, the next major thing to happen in, in history, if you will, the, the, the first big thing in world history was the fact that God made everything. The second big thing that happened was that Adam and Eve, you know, disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, which brought sin into the world. The third big thing that happened was that God sent a Savior or a Messiah, Jesus, dying on the cross for us. The fourth big thing that happened was Jesus walked out of the grave. And the next big thing to happen in world history is that Jesus Christ is going to come and take his bride the church, all true believers, 
those that are real followers of him, he's going to take us out of this, uh, off of planet Earth. He's, he's going to get us out of here. And the word that is used is the word rapture. It's the way that God is going to take his people, his bride, his church, and get us off of planet Earth before he says to Satan, hey, Satan, you remember that car you took from me that day? I'm getting it back. It's mine. I created it. And what happened in Genesis chapter 3 is coming into, to, to an end. Before that happens, and that's going to be a real ugly period of time. You can see right there, it's called the Great Tribulation. It's seven years, uh, it's the time of Jacob's trouble. It's got, got a lot of names the Bible gives it. I just put the, the Great Tribulation period. Before that horrible time comes, God's going to take us out of here. The Bible, um, the Bible says this in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So we are Christ's ambassadors. Right now, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're a part of his church, if you're the part of the bride of Christ, you're one of his ambassadors. God is making his appeal. You know, we're, we're the ones that kind of tell people about the Lord. And one of the things that happens when a country goes to war with another country is that they always call their ambassadors home. Always. Before you go to war, if we were going to go to war with somebody, we, we don't want our ambassadors in harm's way. If we're going to start dropping bombs and blowing people up and sending our tanks and our military in and bullets are going to be flying and all that, we call our ambassadors home. We get them out of harm's way. And that's basically what the rapture is. It's a way that God calls his ambassadors home. He gets us out of harm's way. Before the bombs start dropping and the bullets start flying, before he, you know, takes Satan out of the car and takes back control of what's his, he's going to get us uh, out of the, the, the way. You see, there's coming a moment when God the Father will look over at his son, and I'm going to talk more about this next week, Lord willing, and he's going to say, son, go and get my ambassadors. Go get my children. Go get my bride because it's time for me to make all things right. It's time for me to fix what took place in Genesis chapter 3. And so, son, you go get my people. Go get them, those that are left here on planet Earth. Listen to what Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3. Jesus said to a group of Christians, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come upon the whole world to test those that live on planet Earth. And that little phrase there, live on Earth, is a phrase that's always related to the unbeliever. He says, I'm going to keep you from an hour of trial that's going to come not in a, um, a regionalized area, but this hour of trial is coming upon the whole earth. And it's a time of testing for the unbeliever. You see, for those of us that are believers, our time of testing is now. But there is coming a moment when God is going to take back planet earth. God's going to pour out his wrath on this planet. And he promises that at that moment that he is going to save us protect us from that hour of trial that's going to come upon the, the whole earth. Listen, God loves you too much to leave you here on planet earth when he decides to pour out his wrath against Satan and all those that have rejected him. He loves you too much. That's going to be an ugly, ugly time. He loves you too much to let you go through the horror of what's going to come. Listen, he calls us his bride. Any husband here... You know, you know, allow your bride to go through something hellish like the seven-year tribulation period? No. Jesus is going to come and get his bride. He's going to take us out. He's going to get his ambassadors. He's going to call us home. He's going to protect us from that hour of trial that's going to come. And the word that we use for that is the word rapture. Now, you don't find the word rapture in the Bible. You don't find that word in the 
Bible. You don't find the word Trinity in the Bible. But you see all these great passages in the Bible about how God is a triune God. And so we use the word Trinity. But all throughout the, the scriptures, we see this concept of a rapture where there comes this moment when God comes and takes his family, his followers out of here. Jesus said this in John chapter 14. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. He said, there's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to go and prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, when it's ready, when it's ready, apparently it's not ready, but when it is ready, next week, Lord willing, I'm going to talk about when it's ready. But when everything's ready, I will come and get you so that you will be all, so that you will always be with me where I am. Now, there's really two ways that a believer gets to go be with Jesus. Number one, you die. And the Bible says at the moment you die, absent from the body, present with the Lord. But obviously, there are going to be believers left on planet Earth when he comes, right? And Jesus says, when everything's ready, at that moment, I will come. I'll call my ambassadors home. I'll call my bride home. Before I go and destroy the, the planet, before Satan and I have a little rumble in the jungle, I'm going to make sure that my people aren't here. I'm going to take them all home with me. You see, how many of you remember the first time God destroyed planet Earth? Remember the flood? Remember when God poured out his judgment on planet Earth and he wiped out planet Earth? What did he do? He saved all of his believers, didn't he? He saved all those that believed in him. Noah and his family in a big boat. He didn't allow any believers to go through that judgment. He created this boat. Well, there's coming another judgment, and, and he's not going to put us all in a boat. It's going to be something way better than a boat. He's actually going to come and, and call us home. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, uh, now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. He's coming back. It's the next big moment in history. And for those of us that are believers, it's really the end of it all. It's an incredible moment for us. In Philippians, Paul says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he brings everything under his control. We're, we're waiting for this next big moment. We're waiting. Hasn't happened yet. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, it says in verse 8, And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Acacia. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. And then he says, And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus whom God raised from the dead. He's the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. Judgment's coming. Planet Earth was carjacked. God's taking it back. It's going to be horrible. And we wait for that moment when God takes us out of planet Earth so that we don't have to go through that judgment. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I think we get the clearest picture of what the rapture is and what it looks like. It says this in verse 13, and now dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. 
So he's going to give us some really great information here. He says this, For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. That's an interesting statement. And I'm going to use my first wife as an example. I'll use her as the illustration, okay? Um, her body was uh, uh, laid to rest at Lakewood, her flesh. But the Bible teaches very clearly that if you're a believer, you, you take your last breath here on planet Earth, your next breath with the Lord. So my wife, my first wife, Michelle, is with the Lord right now. Now her body is you know, decaying at a cemetery, been there for over a decade. There it is. She's, that's not her. She's with the Lord. So the Bible says, hey, Rick, there's coming a day when Jesus is going to come with those that have died, th those that, who are believers. Someday, your wife, is, your first wife, is going to come with Jesus. Whoa, that's unbelievable. i got to keep reading. How's this all going to go down? What's it going to look like? We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns, that's us for right now, right? We're still, we're still alive. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those that have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up, raptured, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever, so encourage each other with these words. Now, let, let me kind of unpack this real quickly for you. Here's the deal. My wife, my first wife, doesn't have a body. You do not, if you have a loved one that's passed away, if, uh, it could be a spouse, it could be a child, it could be a grandparent, a friend, and they knew Jesus Christ, they don't have heavenly bodies yet. They don't have them. They're with the Lord right now, but they don't have a, a new body yet. They get their new body at the moment Jesus comes to get his bride, his ambassadors out of here. And so what happens is this. And this is the imagery God gives us here. Is imagine I'm standing next to my first wife's grave and the trumpet sounds. God says, go son, it's time. And I'm gonna talk about this next week. Go get my bride, go call my ambassadors home. I'm going to war, man, I'm taking back my car. I've owned the title deed to planet Earth all these years, and I've just waited for this moment. Go get my bride. Get all my true followers. Let's, let's make this thing happen. At that moment, Jesus begins to come. My, my wife, Michelle, first wife, is with her. Your loved one is with them. Some, somehow, they're there. Man. And out of the ground, boom! Somehow, God's going to recreate my wife's body. And some of you are going, oh, how can God do that? Listen, he created you once when you're in your mother's womb, right? He, he could do it again. That's no problem for God. No problem. Somehow my wife's body is going to come up out of the grave. Now, it's at that moment that those of us that are still alive, like me, if it were to happen right now, then together we would go up to meet the Lord. My body would be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. Because obviously if you're in heaven, you've got to have a different kind of body than this one. This one gets hot, cold, pressure I got all kinds of problems. Got stuck, gravity. This body doesn't work very well. So we're all going to get new bodies. Now, you understand how precise the word of God is. If I were to go immediately, then I would beat my wife whose body's in the grave. But the Bible says that no, those that are dead in Christ will rise first. Then all of us will be caught up in the air to meet the Lord. Now you notice, nowhere does it say that Jesus lands on planet Earth. This is not his second coming. He's just getting us out of here. Jesus does not land on planet Earth at this moment. He just simply comes and he takes us, and where do we meet the Lord? We meet him in the air. Why? He's taking us, his bride, out of here. He's rapturing us 
out of here. That's how it ends, basically, for those of us that are followers of Jesus. Now, there is one other thing that happens during this seven-year tribulation period. There, there are primarily three things that are going on during the tribulation period. Remember, we're gone. Now what happens? What, what happens during that, that seven-year tribulation period? Basically, three things. Three things. Three important things. Number one, God is uh, having a little rumble with, 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 with Satan. And it all ends at the, at the end of the seven years at a, at a battle called the Battle of Armageddon. You've all heard that, right? That's where it all ends. And it's really not even a battle. The Bible just uses that word. It makes it sound like, you know, Jesus is fighting, and then the bad guys are fighting, and then there's this. No, it, it, it's a slaughter. But we call it a battle. That's where it all ends. So, number one, God is dealing with Satan. Number two, God is dealing with all those that have rejected him. See, if you die apart from Christ now, there's already a whole lot of things that are going on. But what about those that are left on planet Earth who don't believe in God? He's dealing with them. And the third thing that God is doing is this. I'm not going to tell you. Ah! <laughs> you got to come back next week. Because here, here, here's the deal. Here's the deal. It's the third thing that's super critical. And um, I think it kind of fits with where our country is today, where our world is today. Um, th there is a third thing that's happening during the Great Tribulation period when all the believers have been called home that's super critical, that has implications for your life today. And Look, folks, I believe that the rapture could happen at any moment. I think all the prophecies have been fulfilled that need to be fulfilled, and literally it could happen right now as I'm speaking. It could happen right now. I believe that. So I don't know whether I'm going to get a, a next week or not. The rapture may not happen, but who knows? I could have a heart attack and die, and then I'm going to be with the Lord, okay? And then somebody else can, Gordon, you make sure you're ready, because now the people are all going to be all messed up if they don't hear the, the message. So you know what the message is. So you give the sermon next week if I die of a heart attack and somebody shed a, somebody shed a tear for me, okay? We had, somebody show up to my funeral and say nice things. But if I am alive, um, I, I'll tell you, next week is gonna be super interesting, but I guarantee you the enemy, the devil, the demons, they don't want you to hear the message. Next week's message is absolutely critical and that's where the second part comes in and I'll tell you, the Lord impressed upon me yesterday as I was studying, Rick, you need to preach on this. You need to tell my people what this third thing is that's happening during the Great Tribulation period. And um, so here's what you do. You got your chart, and it's not obviously, you know, comprehensive, and, but, but there are some things, and, and you ought to familiarize yourself with it. You ought to look at this and and, and, and just kind of see as best I understand Scripture, best we understand Scripture, here are some of the, the highlights of what's, what's going to, to happen. And um, let me tell you about a message like this. I'm going to be, I'll be frank with you. This was the message that I least wanted to preach. Um, and let me tell you why. Uh, if this is a message that tends to be about a lot of data and information. And there's nothing wrong with data and information. Nothing wrong with reading the Bible and going, oh, okay, I understand it. But I tend to be somebody that always asks the so what question. Okay, so what? Okay, there's coming a moment when the rapture's gonna happen. Could happen today while you're eating lunch. Could happen next week. So, so what? What do I do with the data? Do, do I just go and you know, play golf on Monday with my foursome that I always play golf with? So what are the implications of the fact that the next moment in history is going to be this thing called the, the, the rapture? And so I, I at least want to leave you with, with this, okay? I want to leave you with the, with the so what question. Peter said this, 
He said, most importantly, I, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus was coming again? And probably some of you are mocking me internally. And I appreciate the fact that you respect me enough that you're not doing it externally. But I know some of you are going, come on. From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. And then Peter says, they deliberately forgot that God made the heavens by the word of his command and he brought the earth out from the water and he surrounded it with water. Then he used water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They're being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. That, that's the, the great tribulation period. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, his promise to come and rapture us out of here. He's not being slow. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everybody to repent. And that makes sense. You were created in his image. He loves you deeply. And one of the reasons why it seems like it's been a long time is because he doesn't want anybody to die apart from him. He goes on and says, but the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found uh, to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should you live? Looking forward to the day that God, looking forward to that day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, on those end days, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, our brother Peter writes, this was penned thousands of years ago, but this is his word to us today. While you are waiting for these things to happen, and he includes a lot of things there, but the primary one we're talking about is this rapture, this moment where he calls his ambassadors home. While you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort, and it is, it does take effort, to be found living peaceful lives that you are pure and blameless in his sight. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should live peaceful lives, pure lives, blameless lives, knowing that at any moment, God could call you home, get you out of here, and begin to take back what's rightfully his, planet Earth, deal with Satan and, and, and all those that are unbelievers. You ought to live a peaceful life, a pure life, a blameless life. That ought to change the way you interface with your wife, your husband. It ought to change the way you interface with your children, your grandpa, your grandma. It ought to change the way you interface with your boss or your, your employees. It ought to change the way you interface with your, the person you play tennis with or the person you play softball with or golf with. It ought to change the way you interface with everybody, knowing that there's coming a moment, and it could happen at any moment or God's gonna come and take us out of here. Hey, over in the venue, Joel, why don't you turn the camera off? Joel, you wrap it up over here, and I want everybody in this room to stand up, okay? Everybody stand up. And I'd just like for everybody to close their eyes for just a moment, okay? Just close your eyes. And while your eyes are closed, look, here's the deal, as your pastor, I don't know when the end's coming. I don't know. I don't know. I just know it's coming. And those that have truly given their life to Jesus Christ, there's, there's coming a moment when, boom, we're out of here. And God's going to call you home. going to call his bride home. And that's going to usher in a real crummy time here on planet Earth. Crummy. 
If you name the name of Jesus Christ, that ought to change how you're living today. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, wow. I hope that this message rattles around in your brain. I think God brought you here for a purpose that you would hear about how it all began and why we have an end. And maybe you might want to make your way into the altar room and talk with one of our spiritual leaders. People go in there all the time and give their life to Christ. Maybe today's a day. I don't know. And while your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, listen, Pastor Bobby's going to be out in the Welcome Center. Go out and shake his hand. Give him a hug. Tell him you love him. Tell him you're going to be praying for him. Thanks, Jesus, for your word. And it really has been a, an encouraging week for me as I've thought about you coming again and taking me out of here. I look forward to that day, Lord. But until then, may I, your servant, somehow live a, a peaceful life, a pure life, a blameless life. May that be true of all of us who name your name. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord, Lord bless you, okay?